Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. And also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by PolicyPack Software, now part of Networks, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. First up this week, good news for the PowerShell Visual Studio Code fans out there. Microsoft released a new major update to the PowerShell extension for Visual Studio Code, which they have said is a complete overhaul of the core PowerShell engine of PowerShell Editor Services, intending to create a more reliable and stable user experience. Microsoft also stated that the major update is made up of over two years of development work. Highlights of this release include a rewrite of the PowerShell pipeline execution with cancelable and ordered tasks, loads of debugger reliability improvements, improved completion logic, improved testing, modernized built-in snippets, improved user interface with built-in codecans or codecans, improved settings editor experience, support debugging without a workspace, support to debug other PowerShell processes and run spaces, removed package management module update prompt, enabled resolution of an alias to its function definition, performance improvements with better cancellation logic, fixed formatting handlers and PS script analyzer loading, revamped PS host implementation that reuses PowerShell's built-in functionality wherever possible, and more. They also state in making it, while 6,000 lines of code were added, they removed 12,000 for a more maintainable, more efficient, and easier to understand extension backend. So try it out and see what you think. The awesome Jackie Singh published an article with some very worrying findings. The crux of the article is about a police department in Texas providing an app on the Apple App Store that people could use to get live feeds on crime, arrests, safety tips, traffic accidents, and road conditions in their area. Now the app in the App Store stated explicitly, data not collected. The developer does not collect any data from this app. But Jackie investigated and found pretty quickly that the developer's own policy page separate from the store showed that they are in fact collecting data. She went even deeper than that in testing the app and rather than speculate what they may be using the data for, which is likely not enterprise IT related, at least not directly, I find the article interesting for us IT pros, particularly those of us who have to manage mobile devices is the fact that the app store was not correct. It said data not collected. Clearly data is being collected. So how did this happen? 
This raises serious concerns about the integrity of Apple's App Store, which has been held up as a high standard, particularly when compared to Android's Google Play Store. In a similar vein as the last story, ZDNet reported that Mozilla published findings that suggests mental health and prayer apps appear to be quite invasive in either deliberately or potentially just mismanaging data of their customers with a study completed showing that 32 apps that were reviewed resulted in 25 of the apps not meeting Mozilla's minimum security standards. Obviously, given the sensitive nature of the apps in question, this is a worrying development. Vulnerable individuals may be using these apps and they certainly would not want their personal data being used for nefarious purposes. The Register has reported that Apple have updated their policy, at least they did recently, to state that apps that, quote, fail to meet minimal download threshold, meaning the app has not been downloaded at all or extremely few times during a rolling 12-month period, end quote, will be at risk of deletion from the App Store. And the policy applies to iOS, iPadOS, and macOS. Apple's justification for the stance is that refreshed apps work for the vast majority of users and support their latest innovations in security and privacy. The company's announcement proudly states that Apple's attention to such matters has seen it remove 2.8 million apps from its digital storefronts over the last six years. Software removed from the App Store will persist on users' devices and in-app purchases will remain available. So, <laughs> interesting to cover this register article in this episode, particularly as Apple are kind of boasting, hey, how awesome are we at managing our App Store? Meanwhile, Jackie's findings about that police app in Texas claiming to not collect data was actually collecting data. So swings and roundabouts, I guess. Healthcare IT News reported this week that Epic's 2021 net growth in electronic health record market share exceeded that of all other vendors, followed by Meditech and Cerner. Epic also held the largest share of acute care hospitals at 32.9%, with Cerner at 24.4%, and Meditech at 16.7%. Based on acute care EHR purchasing activity in 2021, Epic increased its acute hospital market share by 74, totaling 12,776 beds. A large percentage of that growth came from four new customer organizations, making up 28 hospitals. The report states that Cerner led the 2021 market when it came to wins among standalone hospitals and specialty hospital contracts, and goes into great detail on where the moves are, like those who maybe left one vendor, for example, maybe they were using all scripts. Well, what percentage of those who moved from all scripts moved to Epic or Cerner? and so on. So very interesting reading to see this all broken down in great detail. And if you work in healthcare IT, it's one that you want to check out. And I'll share a link to that with this episode, which is episode 228. And you'll find that on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode. 
Alien Investment Management, who were also in the news recently tied to the Citrix acquisition, have reportedly asked Western Digital to split into two companies, according to CRN.com, one focused on spinning hard drives and the other on flash drives as a way to maximize the value of both technology lines. Elliott have disclosed that it owns a $1 billion stake in Western Digital, representing over 6% of the company's shares, making it one of its largest investors. Elliott also said it would invest $1 billion or more over its current Western Digital stake in a separate flash storage business, giving that business alone an enterprise value nearly as high as Western Digital in its current form. The board of Western Digital responded to this in writing with, quote, Our board of directors is committed to acting in the best interests of all our shareholders and will carefully consider Elliott's ideas. Western Digital is a leading data infrastructure company focused on executing its strategy to capitalize on the huge market opportunity stemming from the rapid global adoption of the cloud and the expansive and growing ecosystem it supports. Our CEO, David Gockler, and the board of directors have explored a range of options to unlock and deliver long-term value, and we will continue our ongoing dialogue with our shareholders, end quote. And CRN.com do highlight the fact that on this news from Elliot and maybe the suggestion, the stock price increased in value pretty significantly. Now that might be the fact that Elliot's involved, so others jumped on board too. If you use Microsoft's update compliance reporting feature, uh, Microsoft is now warning customers to ensure that you meet the Azure AD requirements before October 15th, 2022. So in just a few months. Um, And you have to meet these requirements to ensure continuity of your reporting. Now this is Azure AD requirements. So if you aren't currently using Azure AD yet, you are expected to in order to use this product. There are also some other requirements like having a commercial ID and more. For full steps, check out the article which I'll share with this episode. WindowsCentral.com has reported the April updates for Microsoft Teams meetings and those include anonymous meeting join across clouds, usability improvements to notifications and meetings for iOS, share the system audio for meetings on web, presenter mode which controls to move and resize presenter video, improved meeting support in Firefox browsers, uh, detect music automatically, and also support of live caption for Teams on VDI for Azure Virtual Desktop and Citrix. On MSFT.com reported this week that the latest Windows 11 build, which is version 22610, appears to be quite small with limited changes. Some of the changes are cosmetic, like Task Manager being color-coded to match your Windows theme, and a few other little UI enhancements like that. Microsoft did specifically call out two new known issues, with the first one being the show hidden icons flyout in the system tray may disappear completely for some insiders. And with the second one, enabling efficiency mode from the command bar and task manager can cause the process list to fluctuate between the apps and background groups on the processes page. All the joys of using a preview build. 
Uh, there are also some new Intune settings and group policies for doing things like disabling flyouts for quick settings, disabling search, hiding task view from the taskbar, and more. And now a few quick hit stories to wrap up the news for this week. Firstly, CyberStreams has reported that HP have disclosed several vulnerabilities, one of which is a flaw that causes an infinite denial of service loop. And that leads to a critical integer overflow that causes the software to hang, which would mean that remote users would no longer be able to access their devices. The good news is all of the vulnerabilities, including the one I just mentioned, appear to have fixes available already from HP. So make sure you're patching those HP products. The Record Media reported that a German library service for digital content that is used in libraries across several countries has been disrupted as a service provider that they use has been hit by the LockBit ransomware gang. And they've told customers that they intend to work on at least first restoring e-audio files as this is a main priority. The company has already been working on restoring services since April 18th. And the first statement indicated that German law enforcement has been contacted. They were not able to say whether or not personal data was stolen in the attack. BleepyComputer.com reported that LockBit have already shared leaked files that they stole on their leak site, which may indicate that that provider has refused to pay a ransom, which is what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to pay, so good for them. And finally, car rental giant Sixt was hit by a weekend cyber attack, causing business disruption at customer care centers and select branches. They were hit on April 29th, and they seem to opt to restrict access to all IT systems, except for those crucial for continuing business like the main website and their apps. They claim to have kept service disruption to a minimum, but customers have noticed a message when they tried to call, stating, due to a technical problem, we are currently unavailable and can only process email inquiries with the delay. So while keeping disruptions to a minimum, maybe that's a relative term because obviously that seems like a pretty big disruption not being able to take customer calls. But hey, you can only do the best you can in these situations. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. The awesome Mike Streets recently did a CUGC webinar and the recording is now available that includes his 10 Citrix optimization tips. And if you watch this video, you'll discover where you may want to focus your efforts in your Citrix environment to see the biggest payoffs. Malware Tech shared another new video on his excellent YouTube channel. And this one is an introduction to use after free exploitation. So if you're interested in the security end of things and um, different types of vulnerabilities and how they're exploited, this one is based off the use after free vulnerabilities, but he's covered other types of vulnerabilities too. So just check out his YouTube channel and uh, go through the videos and you will learn a lot. Microsoft recently published an article containing a video too on RPA, which is robotic process automation at scale with Power Automate 
an Azure Virtual Desktop. So combining RPAs with the Azure Virtual Desktop is something that's pretty interesting. I'm a fan of RPAs. I think they're pretty cool technology and you might find it cool too. And finally for the episode this week, Eric from Eric on Identity shared a detailed how-to for disabling the legacy MFA setting in Azure AD. This setting could be enabled in your tenants and you don't even realize it, particularly if your tenant has been in place for some time and it weakens security. This is one that I actually covered on a previous episode of the podcast, but I figure it's worth repeating because it's something very simple to do and it has a great security benefit for everyone. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. I have to travel next week, so I'm expecting to maybe put an episode out at uh, the beginning of the week, possibly on Tuesday. Until then, enjoy the rest of the week, and I'll catch you next time.